What I think I have learned and am learning is the importance of community. I think you can become very self-reliant, especially when you're starting a business because there's so much work involved. So you need to find people and you need to communicate your needs. You need to engage a team. And then ideally from that, that core group of individuals that are helping you, spread that out tenfold so that you're communicating through our supporters, our customers, you are as important a part of this business as I am. That's what I'm learning is to relinquish more to others, which I struggle to do, but also just to engage as wide a group of, of people as possible to, to make it work. This is not an individual. That's one of the things I would certainly encourage people to do whenever they're starting something like this. Who else could be part of this journey? An ex-policeman, coffee lover, and social justice advocate, Bryn Ferris-Smith is the founder of Blue Bear Coffee, a social enterprise based in the United Kingdom that donates 100% of its profits to organizations fighting human trafficking and caring for survivors all through coffee. Yep, you heard that right. Coffee. And I got to admit, I'm sipping a cup of single-origin specialty coffee from Kenya right now as we're speaking. Sarah and I are huge consumers of coffee, and we were curious how and why Bryn started on his entrepreneurship journey with the cause. Bryn is clearly a man on a mission, running a business that prioritizes purpose over profit. Bryn also hosts the Coffee and Justice podcast, a podcast which discusses real-life issues such as human trafficking, modern-day slavery, the impact of politics and policy, slavery in our supply chains, and many other topics about injustices which exist in the world and how we can combat them. We always love chatting with fellow podcasters, so you're in for a ride. Hi, this is Janice. And I'm Sarah N. And we're your hosts for Explore This, a podcast for the modern-day working professional. Each week, we explore actionable insights on how you can thrive personally and professionally. Thank you, Bryn, for joining us all the way from Norwich this evening. We're incredibly thrilled to get this chance to chat with you about something that Janice and I love very much, coffee. It definitely brings people together. So welcome to the Explore This podcast as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Coffee is undoubtedly our go-to drink to fuel our day. And if we're honest, we're probably consuming way too much coffee than we'd like to admit. I'm sure you can concur with that as well. I know. It's, it is it is dangerous. There is definitely a line. You, you can drink too much coffee, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad to hear you're both fellow consumers. I'm, I'm sure I'm already drawn to you for that reason. <laughs> Ardent fans of coffee. <laughs> yeah, and I've also had the privilege of tasting blueberry coffee when I was in Norway, and I loved it. But beyond all of this, of course, we're eager to learn more about you, your social enterprise, blueberry coffee, and more importantly, the social justice mission that is very close to your heart. So, Bryn, to kick things off, can you give us an insight into your background before blueberry coffee days? Yeah, absolutely. Thank, thank you for asking. I, I try and make it clear to anybody that I speak to, especially when I'm talking to individuals about business and enterprise and entrepreneurship, that I do not identify myself in that category at all. I, I'm an ex-police officer who left the police, I think, six or seven years ago now, not for any scandalous reasons, I must add. But my background was in, in the police. I left the police to start a security company. I became a bodyguard and and worked in the close protection industry, so protecting some of the, the high net worth community, the, the 0.01% of the planet and their needs and their personal security. 
and traveled all over the world doing that for a number of years, which I very much enjoyed. And I found myself working as an advisor at a venture capital investment firm in Mayfair, a very posh part of Mayfair. And I was looking after their board of directors and their CEO and, and the issues of the company and its reputation and its due diligence. And I just became increasingly uncomfortable with what I was doing there, why I was there, who I was really helping. I felt that the, the guy that joined the police, that the person with the heart for justice had sort of been forgotten, but he was still there. He was still there. And I wanted to find a way of, of getting back to serving people who couldn't afford to pay for their protection. So my background was in policing, is in security. I still work in the security industry now. So not a natural entrepreneur. And, and I've always been a coffee lover. I never thought I'd have a coffee enterprise of my own. Love it. Such an unconventional background, police background, security business, and now you are in the social justice space and in, with a product that we all you know, absolutely love. So I think this is timely for us to then ask you now to tell us more about the inspiration and the driving force behind starting Blue Bear. Was there a particular incident that triggered the chain of events towards Blue Bear Coffee? Tell us all about this, Britt. As I said, I was working at this investment firm and I became increasingly disillusioned with this job. So I decided to leave and I met with, with a friend of mine and he was the pastor of my church and we met up and we drank coffee and we chatted and he sort of challenged me about what was going on in the world that bothered me to think outside of myself, look outwards. And there was this refugee camp in Calais which is in the north of France, just across the water from us in the UK, like a 30-mile stretch of water separates England from France, from Dover to Calais. And there was a refugee camp there that was referred to as the jungle. And it was an unsanctioned camp. It didn't have the involvement of the United Nations and of the larger NGOs that are involved in refugee settlements and administering aid. And it was being torn down. And that was the first thing that came to mind. I said, I'm conscious of this camp being torn down. Immigration is a complicated issue. And that's not what I'm here to talk about. But I knew that these people represented a brand of humanity that was largely unwanted. France didn't want them. The UK didn't want them. And they were stuck here. And that bothered me. That upset me. He challenged me. What are you going to do about it? So I went there and I filled a car full of items that were being requested by the few small charities working in the jungle. And I distributed them and I was back in time for dinner. And it was a small tokenistic day trip response to this need. But for me, it broke that fourth wall of engagement. When you sit down at six o'clock and watch the evening news and you go, oh, that looks terrible. I was there. I knew what it looked like, what it smelled like. I met people from Eritrea, from Afghanistan, from Iran, from different places. I heard their stories. I got to know it and it, it inspired me to do a little bit more. So I ended up volunteering not long after that experience for an anti-trafficking NGO called International Justice Mission. And they sent me to the Dominican Republic to work as an investigator in support of their investigation team in partnership with the police force on a project that was investigating the trafficking of children on the island. And in answer to your question, in cutting out some of the chapters in getting there, I met a child about six months into my time there. It was just before Christmas. And we went on a case. We were told there was a child in the north of the island that had confessed to her school teacher 
that she was being exploited by her mum, that her mother was charging men in the community to sleep with her, to have sex with her. And it was against her will, and, and, and that shouldn't be something that a child should be experiencing. So she mentioned to the teacher, the teacher told the police, the police told us, and we formed a, a very brief investigation and response to this very grave situation. And this young child, along with her younger siblings, were brought away from that situation. The mother and the abusers that were named in her statement were arrested and taken away by the police. And when we drove her away, she was asked by a colleague of mine who worked in the aftercare department of our project, is there anything from home we can collect for you? You're not going to be going home again. Your mum's going to be going away with the police. Is there anything we can gather for you? And she asked for her blue teddy bear. And one of the things I think I try to correct people in, in when they think of what it's like to be an investigator, you can't help but imagining kicking down doors and sweeping up the victim in your arm and, and walking off into the sunset. It doesn't look like that. That's not what it looks like. Our job is to remain anonymous, to remain undercover. So we don't have that association with uniformed police officers. So we don't get that bit at the end you so long for to be part of the rescue, the day of change. It's only the beginning, but it's a hopeful day. You don't get that opportunity. But what I got was a photograph and it was of my colleague in the back of our car with this child, with a younger brother and sister, trying to look brave and stoic, heading towards an unknown future with this ragdoll blue teddy on her lap. And for me, it really jarred me. I, I couldn't believe this was the only item of value that this young girl had asked for. There wasn't anything more important in her life. It was probably, I can only imagine, given to her by a parent that was abusing or allowing abuse to take place to her. The only thing she's got in the world is a rag doll that should have been chucked in the bin a long time ago. And it just broke my heart. And, and I went home for Christmas and I told this story to some friends of mine, I spoke at my church and said, I don't know what to do about this, but I want to do something. I want to respond in some small way. So we started a teddy bear fund and it began as a teddy bear fund. We raised a couple of thousand pounds and I went back and I went along to the shops with Luz from the aftercare team and Joanna and said, right, we've got this money. Where do we start? And we bought, we decided let's buy some really nice white clean, new, fluffy teddy. So no child ever has to hold on to some dirty toy like that again, but they get something that's emblematic of a new start. And then we had, it didn't, that didn't, we didn't spend all our budget on that. We had plenty more money. So for the next six months, I was able to be a link in a chain that connected real need, be it medical need, educational need, life care need with provision. And at the end of that year, I thought, what if we can keep this teddy bear fund going? What if we can create a business that will sustain this fund, that we won't have to ask people for money anymore, that we will sell them a product and we will use those profits to benefit survivors of sex trafficking. So that was the seed that, that began Blue Bear Coffee Company. And look at where we are now. How many years has it been since then? We just turned three in September. So we're, we're going into our fourth year of business and every year we've grown. It's getting bigger. It's reaching more people. We're making a bit more money every year. So things are looking very positive at the moment.
That's such incredible news to hear, Bryn. And I do have to say that the story that you've shared about this little girl in the Dominican Republic that your team has helped to rescue is extremely moving. And I can only imagine the range of emotions you might have experienced during that time. Do you want to dive a little bit further into that? Yeah, it was and is a really emotional subject. It's a difficult subject to communicate to. And I was conscious when we started Blue Bear, my original intention was to call it Justice Coffee. And I got a graphic designer friend of mine to come up with a logo and it looked kind of superhero-y, like a Marvel action character thing. And I went and met this amazing coffee roaster that's been preparing our coffee for the last three years. And we had this great day. We were selecting coffees. We were designing a process, how it was going to work through our website to their roastery. And then we put the the logo on the bag, Justice Coffee, and it was such an anti-climax. We just thought, oh no, that's that doesn't work. That that just it feels very, very bland. It wasn't captivating. It wasn't engaging. And I had this name. I always had this name in the back of my head, Blue Bear, Blue Bear, Blue Bear, Blue Bear. Maybe we could use Blue Bear Coffee. But for me, it was it, I was reluctant on, on two sides. One, I knew that I would have to come out of the darkness. If I was going to put Blue Bear on it, it would be centered around this narrative that I've just shared. And I wouldn't be able to stay in an a undercover capacity because it would be necessary for me to do things like we're doing now, come out and share the story and talk to people about it. You can't be a very effective undercover operator if you're all over Google. So that was my first concern. But also I was I was and remain conflicted about how to use the narrative of someone suffering to do good. How do we do that and respect this child and her life and do that sensitively? We capture people with the story. We take them on a journey that leads them into action and engagement and awareness. All of those things are positive. How do I do this without damaging this individual? And we've taken a lot of steps to ensure we're not doing that. But it's always difficult. It's difficult existing in this space. And there's something I challenge myself to lean into the difficult moments. Don't turn away from them. There's a famous quote by a man called William Wilberforce, who's famously involved in the abolition of the, the English or transatlantic slave trade, an English politician from 200 years ago that says, you can choose to look the other way, but you can never say that you didn't know. And I think that's more and more the case for us, the more information we have available about human trafficking, exploitation, modern slavery, the more we need to lean into it and we need to find best practice and we need to learn from each other. But we're not to look the other way. We're not to pretend it doesn't exist. I think that's the, the worst of the two options. These are stories that we would never on a day-to-day -day life come across or even hear about because I don't think these are things that are reported widely in the papers as well. So the fact that you know you saw it with your own eyes, experienced and, and saw the, the expression of the little girl hold, clutching onto her blue bed, that is something that is so raw, so real. And I think you articulated it really well, how that blue bear was the one form of comfort that she had and to see you turn that into a fund and then creating this whole coffee movement behind it. I think that's really powerful. I'm honestly excited to see where Blue Bear will continue to go with this. And so segueing perfectly into this business that you're in right now, coffee being undoubtedly one of the happiest products out there, as Janice and I can probably concur to as well. And like we've mentioned at the start of the podcast, we're huge consumers of coffee ourselves. But the realities 
hidden within the coffee industry are not as rosy. And it's a product that is notorious for its unequally divided coffee supply chain and poor treatment of farmers and growers. So can you tell us why coffee, Bryn? Yeah, good question. And it's interesting that you've mentioned a couple of things there that sort of give the answer. So one of them being how positively you respond to to the word coffee, right? It has these connotations of warmth, of community, of gathering with friends, or even just in the morning, getting yourself fueled up. But it tends to have a positive connotation to it, coffee. I like that about coffee. I mean, yes, there's a part of society, I try to ignore them, that don't like coffee. But generally speaking, it's a fairly broad reaching product. So that was part of the reason. And I wanted to to create something that wasn't particularly unique or esoteric or specific or niche that would then exclude huge parts of society. I wanted to create a broad product. I'd seen that coffee and the development of the different types of coffee and specialty coffee and people getting to know where their coffee comes from. It's almost recession proof. This product is here to stay. It's been around several hundred years. There's no sign of it disappearing. It's not a fad. And that was part of the thinking too. But what you said there, I think is probably the most important thing about the problems with the coffee supply chain. Interestingly, I was reading up about the transatlantic slave trade recently and the problems that the slaves were most often used. I remember it because they used they all start, all these, these industries start with the letter C. So coffee was there, cocoa was there, cobalt was there, cotton was there. And I thought, wow, that hasn't changed. You know, that these are still the industries where you'll find exploitation, certainly exploitation in a labor bondage form. So we wanted to engage with that. Like I said, again, let's lean in, let's not turn away, let's not do something super easy and problem free. Let's lean into that. So what we do in the coffee supply chain is one of the models we try and exercise to prevent, and I never say it's 100% slavery because you really cannot say that unless you own every element of the supply chain, which very few companies do. You can't make such a bold claim, but we do what we can. And what we can is to pay the right price for coffee. That's one of the things we can do. So we, on average last year, paid over 100% higher then what was the fair trade price of coffee? Well, that's one thing we can do. And then we can work either directly with the farm and get to know that have a relationship with the farm on what's called a direct trade model. Or we work with partners who we trust. Partners have really invested in how they create equity in their supply chain, how they encourage entrepreneurship amongst coffee-growing communities, how, how they encourage specialty coffee growing. So not just on commodity and price, which is that much more open to exploitation, but actually how to pick and grow red ripe specialty coffee and how they're going to get a higher price for that. Really involved in that process. So we've engaged in that element of the coffee industry so that the business isn't just about how we use our profits and how we use our communications to affect this this social justice issue of human trafficking, modern slavery. We can do it at source too. So there is a coherent circle of everything we're we're doing and trying to do through Blue Bear Coffee. So I'm actually quite curious to know, right, because you didn't come from the coffee industry prior to this. This is a completely new industry that you're in. How difficult was it for you to be able to start understanding how the whole supply chain worked and being able to find the right people to connect to and to give you, you know, as much information and knowledge as far as possible throughout the supply chain to enable you to then ensure that it's as ethical and um, as sustainable as possible? What, what was that process like? 
Yeah, it's a it's a good question. It start it didn't start as it is today. It's taken on different forms and iterations. I think my first plan was a coffee shop, quite predictably. And then I looked into it and found out just how tough it was to make any profit with a coffee shop. And at the end of the day, we were here to raise money and awareness, raise money and awareness. We had a very singular, clear objective. If we're not doing either of those things, then that wasn't the right business model for us. So, okay, how can we do that? I took some advice actually from an uncle of mine who, who, who works in business. And he said, try and start a business with as little money as possible. So don't go into debt, don't go write a fantastic business plan, go and take on 250,000 pounds worth of debt. So start small. My original plan was to start coffee carts, to have coffee carts in different travel locations around the UK, sort of transport hubs, major train stations and aeroplane. I think they're also known as airports <laughs> rather than aeroplane stations. And, um, and that's what we could do. We could sell coffee, we could raise awareness, and we could potentially even look out for examples of potential ca- trafficking cases with our presence. A fantastic idea, one I'd love to return to, but hugely onerous in regard to money, people, staffing, the complications of getting these contracts with train stations off the back of no previous business history. So as I looked at that, I, I don't know if that's going to work. I happened to have a friend that worked. She, he was the director of coffee at a coffee roaster, the one we still use today. And he welcomed me down. And I thought, well, we can do that now. We can start a business now. All we needed is a website. These guys can roast, prepare, and send out our coffee. We're going to tell that story. We're going to give people access. And then we can use our profits. So we're not hemorrhaging bank loans for the first 10 years of business. I've not got to take on huge amounts of investment and then sweat every night to try and find a way of appeasing my investors. We can start a business tomorrow. And that's as far as we've got today. I'm not saying this is always going to be our model. We have these very singular objectives, right? Money, awareness, money, awareness. It might be that there's a more effective way of pursuing this purpose of ours. But at the moment, it's worked for us, how we're currently engineered, how we're currently set up. So in answer to your question about how I came up with that, just learning, just learning, just talking to people, networking, listening, reading up, hearing from people that have wisdom, but responding to it too. Yeah, I think you can get your head, your hooves dug into the ground and this is what we're going to do and it's going to work. And it's fantastic to hear passionate people. But actually, listen, listen, I had the, the blessing of being a complete ignoramus to it. I didn't know about coffee, as you've quite rightly identified. So it was a nice blank page to start from. And I do, where possible, try and learn from people that can show examples of best practice, can show successful business models. Well, they must be doing something right. How can we emulate that? So that is the shorter answer to your question. So it seems that you don't even need business school for this within a short period of time, that networking, the proactiveness, speaking to different people that gave you the business fundamentals that you needed in kickstarting Blue Bear Coffee. But besides that, in terms of the moving parts to making a social enterprise work seamlessly, besides what you have mentioned earlier, were there any other elements that were crucial in order to start building the foundations of this social enterprise that you you would be able to. Maybe now in hindsight, you probably wish that you would prioritize it a bit more or not. Oh gosh, yes. I've made I've made plenty of mistakes, that's for sure. And uh, I like what you've just said, actually, if I could reflect back on that in regard to business 
school. I've grown. And it's only recently, very, very recently in my life. I'm 35 years old. I'm an, I'm an old man when I look at you, <laughs> I think of myself as old anyway. But actually, I think we can get absolutely hung up on this thing. Before I start, I must first get qualified. I must first get trained. This over-reliance on credentialism. Have I been given a certificate that says I can do this? Now, there is a place for that. There is a, I don't want somebody operating on me with a with a scalpel in a doctor's surgery that doesn't have the relevant training and experience. But I think certainly from a young entrepreneur's point of view, if they're starting out, yes, there's so much information out there that you can load yourself up on, but don't, don't inhibit creativity by finding a certificate that's going to give you all the confidence and, and ability to do that. And I used to think that way. I used to think that. So it's something I've only learned more and more recently have grown in confidence and saying, no, don't first run away and find your downloadable course or online course. Get started and learn as you go. So in answer to your question, social enterprise, why are we, we registered as a social enterprise? Because it's not a business. It operates like a business, but it really is. It's founded for a social purpose. And we wanted to get that right. I don't describe us as a coffee company that gives some of its profits to anti-slavery charities. I say, no, we're an anti-slavery organization that raises its money by selling coffee. So that's why we went in a social enterprise model. What I think I have learned and am learning is the importance of community. I think you can become very self-reliant, especially when you're starting a business, because there's so much work involved. I've not paid myself to this day. I'm not saying that to be hubristic or, or, or self-aggrandizing, but it's true. I've never paid myself a salary. We run off a very, very slim operating uh, payroll, well, not even a payroll, in order to make sure that we maximize our giving at the end of the year. We maximize our capacity to donate, the whole purpose of this business. But it means that your, your temptation is to try and do everything yourself, because I know I don't have to pay myself, so I'll do everything. But I'm not the best guy at social media. I'm terrible with numbers and accounting. I'm a hopeless planner. I, I can't write a business model or a business plan for love nor money. So you need to find people and you need to communicate your needs. You need to engage a team. And then ideally from that, that core group of individuals that are helping you, spread that out tenfold so that you're communicating through our supporters, our customers, you are as important a part of this business as I am. That's what I'm learning is to relinquish more to others, which I struggle to do, but also just to engage as wide a group of, of people as possible to, to make it work. This is not an individual. That's one of the things I would certainly encourage people to do whenever they're starting something like this. Who else could be part of this journey? And there are people that have time to give. There are incredibly generous people that have built websites for free, that have done our books for a year for free. And and they're out there. They're out there. They want to help. They're looking for ways of using their skills and their experiences to benefit a cause. So that's probably one of the key lessons. I say learning because I've not, I don't feel I'm completely over that. Yeah, I still try and do things myself at, at, to the detriment of this company because I'm scared to ask for help. But that's one of the things I would certainly encourage people to do whenever they're starting something like this. Who else could be part of this journey? And I, assume it's something you didn't expect to be such a crucial element as part of building this social enterprise, the community element. And now knowing that you have a community of supporters of other like-minded individuals who also equally believe in the cause and the mission that Blue Bear Coffee is promoting, I think that just is very beautiful. It is something I've, I've only, I'm still learning. We did a fundraiser this summer 
every year we try and do a fundraising event because we don't know how much money we're going to make in terms of our net profit until the end of the year, which is the end of the calendar year for us. And I'm always scared. What if we come out profit neutral? What if we've got nothing to give away at the end of the year? So how do we offset that? Well, let's do it once a year. Let's do a fundraiser. And this year we did a cycle ride. So I set out this cycle ride. I picked this area of Norfolk. I went out with my friend and we tried to do it in the shape of the Blue Bear logo. This is going to be perfect, I thought. And we started pushing it on our social media. Everyone come along and do a 40-mile cycle ride with us. We're going to raise money, £25 to join or £35 or something. And our signups were rubbish. We just we just had almost no, I think we got 20 or so people. I was hoping for hundreds. I thought, what's going on here? Why isn't this working? And we poured so much effort into it. And then a friend wrote to me and said, listen, it's a bit too far for me to come. I've got work the day before and after. But what if I hosted a cycle ride down here in Winchester? I've got friends that would come along to that. I said, fantastic. That would be great. Would you do that? Yeah, I'd do that. Oh, please, please do. Let us send you some coffee. That would be brilliant. We'll share it on our social media. And then she was in Winchester, a friend in Northern Ireland said, well, we'll, we'll do one. And we'll do one in Northern Ireland with our community. I had a friend even in Hawaii did a ride, a freedom ride for us. And that was just a few months ago. I still have to learn. It's not all about you putting on an event. There are people amongst your community that want to serve this cause. So, so I'm still, still very much learning. Also, Bryn, when we first connected a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned that you were about to make a trip to the Dominican Republic with the hopes of expanding the Blue Bear footprint in the country where it all first began, and even Mm -hmm. potentially to open the first ever Blue Bear Cafe. I'm not sure if this is still under wraps, but I'll leave it to you to share with us a highlight during your time there and what that trip meant for you. Was it also your first time returning back to the Dominican Republic since you left? It was. It was. Sarah, you've just blown a big surprise. I'm trying to keep <laughs> it under wraps. No, no, it's okay. I was worried that going back to the Dominican Republic after three and a half years, it'd be the same. I'd feel like a stranger. You know, I felt like that community that I once had might have moved on, but it hadn't. It really hadn't. It felt very familiar and I loved it. And I had this loose plan of, well, maybe we'll start a coffee shop. Maybe we could start a coffee shop and we could provide safe employment and barista training to survivors of sex trafficking. And it was an idea only, but I tried to go there with open hands. This is just an idea. What do you think? And after two weeks of being there, I left the country with a registered NGO. So we've got the blue, but it's called Blue Bear Freedom. And it is our, our first ever nonprofit that we've registered in the Dominican Republic. And one of the reasons we went in that direction instead is because we came back to those purposes I keep bashing on about. And as I looked into the cost of starting a coffee shop and would we really be helping many survivors? Well, maybe, but they're disparately located across the country. So we might be able to help one or two in that community, but most of them would be excluded from that opportunity. Okay, how do we get around that? Well, let's start a foundation. So what we're doing is we will have coffee. We'll have Blue Bear coffee. Domin- Dominican, I visited an amazing coffee farm out there. We'll be able to sell Dominican coffee to Dominican businesses as a fundraising tool. And we'll have other events over there. We'll also take our profits. At the moment, we give them to IJM, Justice and Care, Unseen, British, fantastic anti-trafficking charities. But why don't we 
go back to where this started. Go back to that child and her teddy bear. Go back to our teddy bear fund. And let's go, let's return to the Dominican Republic with our giving. So we're going to, next year, we'll take our profits and we'll give to Blue Bear Freedom, which is going to administer those funds. And one of the other things I'm desperate for us to do, which is news, this is this is very unspoken so far. You've got a scoop. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. Inside a scoop. Bring it on, Bruno. That's it. Yeah, you, I'm still figuring it out as I do you. But what we want to do is, I know there's such a barrier to giving to charities these days is that, oh, I don't know where the money goes. It's probably all going on the CEO's salary or airplane tickets or whatever. But what we want to do is give 100% of what's given to us away. At the moment, there's an amazing shelter house that I've been connected to for a few years that provides education, employment training, accommodation, counseling to young survivors of sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. Well, let's just help them grow. Let's, through Blue Bear, to, to this particular house next year, we're going to fund at least two more girls to, to enter that process, to join that home we can pay for that. Let, let's take that on. Let's take that on next year. Let's pay for, and fund for, for this place. It's called Lily House, not far from Santo Domingo, just outside of a place called Boca Chica. Juan Dolio is, is the local town. And they're going to be able to absorb two more, two more young lives into their community, which is amazing. We get to be a part of that. And all of the administrative costs will fund that privately. So everything people give is going to go towards, if we make more money, we can give them the opportunity to bring somebody else in. And there are a couple of homes we want to work with. So that's the, the new direction of our giving. We're going to go back to source. We're going to go back to giving hope to people who have had a really difficult life, but it doesn't end on the day they're rescued. It just starts again. And with care and with love and with patience and also equipping them with training, with a skill set, with a CV, there's such opportunity for new life to come again. And we want to be part of that. We want to be in the hopeful part of this story, not just in bringing rescue, bringing intervention. Let's be part of the longer story, a more hopeful story. So that's, that's going to be the next chapter for Blue Bear. Congratulations, Bryn. I definitely didn't expect this scoop to come out, but we have to say <laughs> congratulations are definitely in order. And it sounds like a new chapter for Blue Bear in the sense that you're thinking about a more long-term and sustainable way of giving back to the cause where it all began. Well, I think people want to know where their money's going, don't they? I give to a number of charities and it's important that you know, because then you're more engaged. Now, we're not the heroes, are we? We're not the heroes forgiving is certainly not it the way i see it i think these people that are taking support to rebuild their lives are my heroes it's not us who have the spare cash to help them but we still we still should be engaged in exactly what's happening what's taking place i want it to be really transparent and clear and open book about the way we do this on that note, we'd love if you could deep dive a bit more into the cause we want to have you articulate why did you think that it was particularly important, especially in this time now, to build this social enterprise, to build this brand that shines a light on fighting human trafficking and caring for their survivors? Well, I think business is changing. I think there's some really positive signs that capitalism for the sake of making get, getting a return for, for, for their investors without any social purpose, without any social benefit, is less and less appealing. I think you can see that across all range of businesses, not just miniature enterprises like ours with grand aspirations, 
But also in big business, there is a need. Some of it feels slightly inauthentic, doesn't it? But there is a need to think, well, what, what, what are we doing with this business? What is the purpose of it? How can we positively impact the planet? How can we positively impact people's lives through this business? And I think that there are many different examples of that emerging across the business community, which is really encouraging. I'm an idealist, absolute guilty idealist. And what I wanted to do is, is show an example of building a successful business that, that had a brilliant product. It was important that we didn't have a good story and a good cause, but a really crap cup of coffee that no one wanted to order again. Because we'd only sell coffee once. We'd sell it once. They'd go, well, that was nice. We're not buying that again. No, it needs to be excellent. The coffee needs to be excellent. The user experience needs to be excellent. But what if despite that, we still give all our money away? <laughs> now, one day, one day when we can afford to and when it's necessary, I want to pay staff. <laughs> I don't just want to run this exclusively through volunteers. I would love to, to have fairly well-paid staff or well-paid staff, <laughs> not just fairly well, and to bless them as an employer. But what if what if our focus was on social good? It wasn't just a a byproduct or or even a, you know a positive use of our profits for the sake of improving our reputation and making more sales or writing off taxes or any other reasons. Some of the slightly less praiseworthy reasons that people are engaged in charity. No, let's make it our purpose. Let's operate for that purpose. We're not unique. But we are trying to uh, give an example because the more pressure we can put on bigger businesses that do have real scale and have real influence on the supply, global supply chains, the more pressure we put on them, uh, the better. And the more people turn away from them and go, well, I'm not going to buy my coffee at this unknown place. I'm going to go and buy it from Blue Bear because I know they do this. Well, the more people that do that, the more likely these bigger companies are going to have to change their way. And that really will change hundreds of people's of lives, thousands of people's lives. So, so that's why I think it's Im important for us to do it. But I'm encouraged that more and more businesses and enterprising are starting out with this purpose too. And on that note, in October 2020, Blue Bear donated £12,600 to three charity partners, being International Justice Mission, Justice and Care and Unseen UK, which is over four times what Blue Bear donated in 2019. Not only that, Blue Bear was also nominated for a Thomson Reuters Stop Slavery Award. So these are some incredible achievements that Blue Bear has accomplished in the year 2020. But all of which is also to say that it's pretty crazy how Blue Bear has thrived during a year that has done a lot of damages to businesses all around the world. And so Bryn, can you share with us, what has running a social enterprise during COVID taught you? Yes, it's been challenging. I think I was worried at the start of the pandemic. None of us really knew how it was going to turn out, did we? We still don't. But we obviously lost our wholesale customers. We supply coffee to businesses, to churches, to restaurants, coffee shops, and they obviously weren't trading. They were closed, so we didn't receive their business. But what we did see was a real spike and fortunately, we've sustained sustained that new business from individuals that want to 
have nice coffee at home and want to enjoy and want to go on an adventure and learn a bit more about coffee. Why does this coffee taste better? What's been done to it? What's the process involved? What part of the world did it come from? Why does it taste different to African coffee than this? We found these new people out there. And that's what's been really encouraging for us is the growth in individuals that are coming and finding us and making us part of their day, the start of their day or their mid-morning coffee break. We get to be part of their lives by introducing them to Blue Bear Coffee. So we've been blessed. We don't run a payroll that I had to furlough a load of staff. We don't have an expensive facility somewhere which was just locked up. We've been very fortunate and very, very blessed. But it was a need to really go deep into the communications, to do lots of Instagram lives, which really made me cringe in the early days. But we got used to it. We became more confident with it and to to enjoy writing to to people with a newsletter and and trying to engage our customers and then seeing their pictures of them enjoying their coffee, their videos. And and we've carried on in that way. We We want to know who these people are that are ordering coffee. Like your fantastic partner, Sarah, that was ordering from Norway until Brexit came along and and ruined (laughs) our European shipping model. But but I love that. Yeah, I love that. And I use the back end of our website. I can see this sort of shotgun pattern of coffee being sent to Scotland or Cornwall or Northern Ireland all over the all over the place. It's been great getting to know a little bit about who these customers are. That's what I've enjoyed about the pandemic. And I have to say that exactly where I tried the coffee was in Norway. So that was incredibly lovely as well. And on the topic of podcasting, we mentioned this earlier in the episode that Bryn is also a fellow podcaster and we love these discoveries. Bryn is the founder and host of the Coffee and Justice podcast, a podcast which discusses real-life issues such as human trafficking, modern-day slavery, the impact of politics and policy, slavery in supply chains, and many other topics about injustices which exist in the world and how we can combat them. So how did the Coffee and Justice podcast come about, Bryn? Yes, I got a email. I received an email from a, a Blue Bear, well, I presume customer. And we write a blog. We used to write one fairly regularly. And she wrote and said, I really enjoy your blog, but I have problems with my site and wondered whether you could add an audio description add on to your website so the blog could be read out for us. So we did that. And I said, Oh, we've done it. Is that helpful? Said, yeah, it's really helpful. I also wondered whether you might be interested in doing a podcast. I never heard from this woman again, but we did. I thought, what a brilliant idea. I've been so fortunate. Some of the people I've met who are friends of my, just the most remarkably inspiring individuals, at least they're my, they're my heroes. This is the sort of thing that I find really inspiring and interesting. So why not? Why not just sit down with some of these people and, and start a podcast of our own and it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. You two will both know that it's a lot of work involved in putting on a podcast, a lot of time in preparing your questions and editing and trying to make it sound as professional as possible. It's not easy. So you've got to love it, haven't you? You've got to enjoy what you're doing to make Definitely. it worth your while. But I, I love it. I've learned so much as well by having these, these conversations. I've gone on such a journey. I've learned so much. Hopefully our listeners have too. So thank you for giving giving it a bit of a shout out. Justice and Coffee podcast available on all all streaming platforms. I can't think of anything better. Coffee, justice, and a podcast. We love it. 
So, Bryn, as we're heading towards the wrap-up of our episode, and it's been so great chatting with you, we want to get some advice from you for people who might be intrigued or interested to want to embark on a social enterprise journey. What is one piece of actionable advice that you would offer to them? I'm sure you've learned so much along this journey of yours, but if you could give one advice, what would it be? Oh, it's really tricky. Perhaps I'll just go back to what I mentioned earlier, the advice that I took, which was about starting with as little debt as possible. It doesn't sound very inspirational, does it? You think, oh gosh, start small, think big. I think you've got to think big. You've got to, you, you want to achieve your business at scale. You want it to be successful, but that doesn't mean you have to start with a great big loan from the bank or a huge amount of money from some very generous investor. When you're coming up with your plan, think, well, how, do, how can we start tomorrow before we need to, to start going and, and applying for, 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 for this loan and that, et cetera. And, and then ultimately, you've got to drill down the purpose of your business. Don't try and fix the entire world because you'll struggle. You'll really struggle. But find something you identify as ours is to affect this issue of human trafficking by raising money and awareness. More specifically, we want to prevent the re-trafficking of children with lived experience of exploitation. That's, that's what we're here to do. So every time opportunities come up for your business, for your social enterprise, for your cause, go back to your mission, your values, your principles. Is this in alignment? Is this going to help us achieve our goals anymore? Or is it potentially going to distract from what we're trying to do? So that's my advice. Don't start with huge amounts of debt. Start small, think big, and then just be drilled down and really concentrated around your purpose for for starting a business. Those are the things that come to mind anyway. Very pragmatic and sound advice, Bryn. Love it. That's really, really helpful. And the final question that we have that we always end our episodes on with our podcast guests is along with the theme of Explore This, we do want to ask you, what is the one thing you recently explored that has surprised you? And you can't say this question. <laughs> oh, I wish I'd seen this question. <laughs> we like to keep you on I'd... your toes. I don't know about you, but I struggle to sit down, concentrate and read. I'm sure you're nothing like me, but I'm so easily distracted. I've got such a hyperactive mind. I think I'm undiagnosed ADHD, definitely. But so what I, I've recently discovered is it's not particularly exciting is audiobooks. <laughs> is that is that anticlimactic or what? But I have, I've recently discovered audiobooks and I'm just tearing through books like you would not believe. I've got this um subscription with an audiobook provider. And uh, I'm I'm loving it whenever I drive or go to the gym or go for a walk. And I would just recommend one to you that broke my heart last week I read. And it's called La Nuit, which means the night in French. And it's written by a man called Elie Weisel. And it's about his experience of the Holocaust as a young boy, a young Jewish boy that found himself in Auschwitz, the concentration death camp. And it is the most incredible account. He went on to become a professor. He survived Auschwitz and he became a professor in France and, and then in the US. And he gave this amazing speech at the turn of the millennium to the White House, which was called The Perils of Indifference. And of all the terrible things going on in the world, what he tries to identify is indifference, how these things can go on and we call ourselves a civilized society. We call ourselves sophisticated and aware, but we allow these injustices to take place. The same horror that took place 
in Auschwitz in the Holocaust during the World War II. These awful injustices are still practiced in the world in different parts of the world. And it was such a challenge reading this, such a challenge. I felt completely convicted. Am I doing enough? Are there areas of injustice that I just ignore? And there are. And I, I just felt really motivated. So what am I exploring more? I'm exploring audiobooks, but also I'm exploring myself. Is this enough? Can we do more? Can I learn more? Can I be more informed and educated about what's taking place in this world? That's that's what I'm on at the moment. Bryn, we have to say, this is why we love throwing in this question, because you never <laughs> know what our guests will exactly. hit us with. And, you know, like you say, it's nothing particularly profound or it might seem very anticlimactic, but it was your personal exploration that has surprised you and, and left a real deep mark within you. So thank you for sharing that. And on that note, where can our guests find you? They can find us at bluebearcoffee.com. And there'll be a link to our podcast there. The podcast can be, if you search the Justice and Coffee podcast, pretty much anywhere you should you should find us too. And then on social media, if you go at Blue Bear Coffee Co on Instagram or Facebook and Twitter, you should you should find us. That'd be great. I'd love that. Awesome. And also, we'd like to know because we do have listeners from different parts of the world. For listeners that might be within shipping region from the UK, how can our listeners support Blue Bear? How can they buy Blue Bear coffee, in other words? You just go to bluebearcoffee.com. You can buy a subscription. You can buy an individual bag. You can find our products there. We've got a tea mill store, so you can get T-shirts and hoodies and all things like that, merchandise. That would be That'd be fantastic. I'm so sorry if you live in Europe at the moment. We're not shipping because it's just been such a pain. But there, we do still send things to America and, and, and South Africa all over the place. So maybe you might be able to buy one of our products. That'd be fab. Awesome. And for those who unfortunately live a little far away, like Janice in Hong Kong and myself in Kuala Lumpur, and it's not very economical for you to ship Blue Bear coffee to us, unfortunately, how else then can we support Blue Bear? Follow us support us you can like our social media content engage with us be part of whatever we're doing and that would be great we want to build a community all over the globe great if they, we can get them coffee even if not hopefully there's still a way we can engage with each other we can support one another so please do do follow along on social media Incredible. Thank you so much, Bryn, for your time. And also love that we were able to connect over this topic, which is so close to your heart and most importantly, over coffee as well. So thank you again for your time, Bryn. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you've stuck around to the end of this episode, we want to say thank you for exploring with us. And if you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and most importantly, share this episode with your friends. We'd love to hear from you. So you can also connect with us on Instagram using the Instagram handle Explore This Podcast. A-C-T-S-P-L-O-R-E This Podcast. New episodes for Explore This drops every Monday at 8pm. See you then! 